Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States opinion syllabus in Denespi versus United States, certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit, argued February twenty second, twenty twenty two, and decided June thirteenth, twenty twenty two. An officer with the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs filed a criminal complaint against Merle Denespi, a member of the Navajo Nation charging Denespi with three crimes alleged to have occurred at a house located within the Ute Mountain Ute Reservation. Assault and battery in violation of uh, 6 Ute Mountain Ute Code Section 2, terroristic threats in violation of 25 CFR Section uh, 11.402, and false imprisonment in violation of 25 CFR Section 11.404, The complaint was filed in a CFR court, a court which administers justice for Indian tribes in in certain parts of Indian country, where tribunal courts have not been established. Um, That's section 11.102. Denespi pleaded guilty to the assault and battery charge and was sentenced to time served, 140 days imprisonment. Six months later, a federal grand jury in the District of Colorado Indicated Denespi on or indicted Denespi on one count of aggravated sexual abuse in Indian country, an offense covered by the Federal Major Crimes Act. Denespi moved to dismiss the indictment, arguing that the double jeopardy clause barred the consecutive prosecution. The district court denied Denespi's motion. Denespi was convicted and sentenced to 360 months months imprisonment. The Tenth Circuit affirmed. The uh, Supreme Court also affirmed, and it was uh, Justice Barrett delivered the opinion. The Double Jeopardy Clause does not bar successive prosecutions of distinct offenses arising from a single act, even if a single sovereign prosecutes them. The Double Jeopardy Clause of the Fifth Amendment provides no person shall be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. By its terms, the clause does not prohibit twice placing a person in jeopardy for the same conduct or actions. That's a gamble versus United States. But it focuses on whether successive prosecutions are for the same offense. In 1791, offense meant the violation of a law. Because the sovereign source of a law is an inherent and distinctive feature of the law itself, An offense defined by one sovereign is necessarily a different offense from that of another sovereign. The two offenses can, therefore, be separately prosecuted without offending the double jeopardy clause, even if they have identical elements and could not be separately prosecuted if enacted by a single sovereign. This dual sovereignty principle applies where two entities derive their power to punish from wholly independent sources. So... Puerto Rico versus Sanchez Valley. Denespi's single act transgressed two laws, the Ute Mountain Ute Code's Assault and Battery Ordinance and the United States Code's prescription of aggravated sexual abuse in Indian country. The Ute Mountain Ute Tribe exercised its unique sovereign authority in adopting the tribal ordinance. See United States versus Wheeler. Likewise, Congress exercised the United States' sovereign power in enacting the federal criminal statute. It's the United States versus Lanza.
the two laws defined by separate sovereigns prescribe separate offenses. So Denezpi's second prosecution did not place him in jeopardy again for the same offense. Denezpi argues that the dual sovereignty doctrine applies only when offenses are enacted and enforced by separate sovereigns. He insists that his second prosecution violated double jeopardy. Then, because prosecutors in CFR courts exercise federal authority, which means that he was prosecuted twice by the United States. The court need not decide whether prosecutors in CFR courts exercise tribal or federal authority, because the double jeopardy clause does not prohibit successive prosecutions by the same sovereign. Rather, it prohibits its successive prosecutions for the same offense. Thus, even if Denespi is right that the federal government prosecuted his tribal offense, the clause did not bar the federal government from prosecuting him under the Major Crimes Act, too. The Double Jeopardy Clause does not ask who puts a person in jeopardy. It zeroes in on what the person is put in jeopardy for, the offense. The court has seen no evidence that offense was originally understood to encompass both the violation of the law and the identity of the prosecutor. Denespi stitches together loose language from the court's precedent to support his position that the identity of the prosecuting sovereign matters under the dual sovereignty doctrine. No precedent cited by Denespi involves or even mentions the unusual situation of a single sovereign successively prosecuting its own law and that of a different sovereign. In any event, imprecise statements cannot overcome the holdings of the court's cases, not to mention the text of the clause. Those authorities make clear that enactment is what counts in determining whether the dual sovereignty doctrine applies. Denezpi's reliance on Bartkus versus Illinois is misplaced. At most, Bartkus acknowledged that successive federal prosecutions for the same conduct would raise a double jeopardy question, but Bartkus did not begin to analyze, much less answer, that question. Denezpi's remaining arguments are unavailing. Denespi first points to the government's exclusion of Major Crimes Act felonies from the federal regulatory offenses enforceable in CFR court in order to avoid double jeopardy concerns. He asserts that this limitation borders on a concession that the double jeopardy clause bars his second prosecution. Not so. Federal regulatory crimes are defined by the federal government, so successive prosecutions for a federal regulatory crime and a federal statutory crime present a different double jeopardy question from the one here. Next, Denespi argues that permitting successive prosecutions like his does not further the purposes underlying the dual sovereignty doctrine. Namely, advancing sovereigns as independent interests. Purposes aside, the doctrine follows from the clause's text, which controls. In any event, the tribe's sovereign interest is furthered when its assault and battery ordinance, duly enacted by its governing body as an expression of the tribe's condemnation of that crime, is enforced, regardless of who enforces it. Finally, Denespi asserts that the court's conclusion might lead sovereigns to assume more broadly the authority to enforce other sovereigns' criminal laws in order to get two bites at the apple. If a constitutional barrier to such cross-enforcement exists, it does not derive from the Double Jeopardy Clause.
The decision below is affirmed. Justice Barrett delivered the opinion of the court in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Thomas, Breyer, Alito, and Kavanaugh joined. Justice Gorsuch filed a dissenting opinion in which Justice Sotomayor and Kagan joined as to parts one and three. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can reach me at roadscholar80 at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast, find the PayPal link in the show notes.